Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Chris Madden, entrepreneur and co-founder of Matchnode, a digital ad agency that helps grow your business through strategic digital marketing and paid social ads. Chris has helped build a culture at Matchnode that is focused entirely on growth in both the personal development of their team and clients, business growth, and mentality around growing the pie. MatchNode's success in their digital marketing strategies has led to brand name clients that include Lending Tree, the Chicago Bulls, New Balance, and Indiana University, among many others. Today, we're going to talk about Facebook ads, boosting posts, setting up a marketing plan that allows for easy tweaking, and testing campaigns on different audiences. We're going to learn what has worked from Chris's experience, what could be avoided, and how some brands are missing the mark with their digital strategies. Chris, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Stacey. Happy to be here. Excited to talk. Uh, super happy to have you here because I love all things Facebook and advertising and digital strategies. And I always know that I can do better as an agency owner and have our team do better as well. So looking forward to having some great takeaways. And I'm sure our listeners are as well. Could thank we you. Start off and talk about a little bit about how you got to where you are today and what got you into this business of digital marketing. Of course. Um, so I am a lifelong entrepreneur. I've always had uh, interest and uh, businesses involved with sales, marketing one way or the other, and then technology. So um, after a video game startup that I had years ago uh, that took me on the road, um, and raised money from outside investors and did deals with like large video game companies. The idea of coming home to Chicago where I was born and raised and uh, starting a business where we helped other companies grow and um, had a very uh, old school business model of, you know, making fees every month, having costs, hiring people and having profit at the end of every month was like extremely interesting to me. So <clears throat> it started in really just those, uh, modest practical approaches of, of of trying to give people more value than we were charging them and and building up uh, a little bit of a business that way and fast forward six years and um, we are really growing and really excited about the expertise that we've gained the companies that we've helped and uh, you know the things that we get to learn every day uh, the, the ways in which our team and our clients and our clients teams get to grow every day through the work that we do so that's how we look at it and that's how we got here that's awesome. And uh, being in business to grow profitability is a very good reason to be in business and success. <laughs> yeah, it unlocks a lot of things. You know, wh whatever it is that we want to do to help our teammates and to help our clients and to just um, be good actors in the business world uh, to develop ourselves in the way we want to is mm -hmm. very much unlocked by, by doing our core business and having profit to, to allow ourselves to move in the next direction with that profit. So it definitely uh, enables a lot of things. Yeah. So Facebook advertising, I know that was the topic that you said you wanted to really dive in deeply on mm -hmm. this podcast today. What is it about Facebook that makes it such a powerful platform for brands to advertise on? Uh, well, going back to, you know, one of our core values, which is growth, 
Uh, Facebook allows advertisers to um, generate demand and not just fulfill demand. And the reason why we make that distinction at our agency and the reason why I start with that is because uh, in the digital advertising world, for better or worse, um, there are two behemoths, which are Facebook and Google, and they, uh, you know, so much of the ad spend that we come across goes like straight into those two companies. And so those two companies represent, of course, uh, search and social. And so on Google with search, extremely powerful. That's awesome. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of great work for agencies and brands to do on Google, but it is oftentimes capped. Where um, in theory, it's capped by the amount of people searching for that given thing on that given day. So you can't increase demand with Google search ads um, in, our, in our construct here. You can put a message in front of people on Facebook, um, for better or worse, maybe we'll talk about this. We, of course, only try to run ads for things that uh, improve a person's life through a product or service that they can find through an ad that we're running for a client. Um, but you can um, put something in someone's newsfeed via paying for an ad on Facebook and introduce them to a product or service that they didn't know about. Uh, maybe they have a problem in their life, but they didn't know that your product exists to help solve it. Uh, so it's really powerful in that it can generate demand in a moment like that. And it's not just fulfilling demand for people who are already looking for the things they know they need it. And again, these things work together. Google's amazing, but we focus on Facebook for that reason because it can really help drive growth. Um, you know, really just from a dollars and cents and lead generation perspective, also from a testing things, testing maybe an early business idea you might have. Um, if you learn to read the signals and what feedback means from you know, the ad platform and people clicking on your ad, going through to your website, it can really help uh, a business grow. Uh, so that's why Facebook ads for us. I think there's also just a practical thing too, where we just personally, my co-founder Brian and I, when we got together six years ago, just both really liked and were really good at Facebook ads. And people were paying us to, you know, run ads for them in a very small kind of freelance ad hoc basis. Um, and of course, if it was 15 years ago instead of six years ago, maybe we would have been more of a Google shop. But uh, because you know, AdWords is a relatively mature platform, um, and the, we see a lot of competitors that, that do Facebook ads, and certainly there's a lot of other agencies that do Facebook ads and can do them well, but they uh, sometimes start as a Google shop and they like bolt on Facebook ads. So they start doing web development or SEO, and then as time passes, like, oh, we have to do Facebook ads. One thing that's different about us is we are paid social first. And so it's not just that it generates demand in addition to fulfilling demand, but it's also something about like personally where we were when we started the agency and where we found a foothold and where we just kept going, and now we have very deep expertise in it. Okay. I know a lot of people, and we run across this with our clients, and we as an agency might have done this a little bit ourselves here and there. Think sure. of Facebook and don't think about the fact that, you know, you really have to do a paid plan on it, that, you know, you put it out there and they will come. But Facebook's changed their algorithms, and it's actually very few people in your follower base that are actually being exposed to anything you're posted. Can you share a little bit more insight to what that landscape looks like and why people need to do paid Facebook? Yeah, so part of I think what you're referring to is uh, the distinction between, we call it organic social and paid social. Yep. So organic social, um, when Facebook first came out, was really powerful because if you had 200 friends and you posted something or your business with 200 likes and you posted something like 196 of those people were gonna see that yep. post. Um, it's been a big long-term story and a big long-term trend on how organic reach has just dwindled down to near zero. Now you might get, um, you know, five or 10% of your followers or friends might see 
uh, a particular organic post. Um, there's still value in organic social for, for some brands and certainly some individuals, um, like outside of the business world, just people connecting to one another, friends and family, the algorithm changed to push that more and can decrease news. So the algorithm's continuously changing. And I guess one theme I wanna get across here, whether you're a small business or a large business, the um, algorithm is constantly changing and sometimes people don't like that because it makes you uh, the thing that was working so well for you no longer works. Uh, but our point of view is that that's where the opportunity is. The changes in the algorithm and the new things that Facebook rolls out and the guidance they give on what you should try next is what you should try next. And even if the thing you're doing right now is working, you have to be looking for that next thing because the platform changes, the world changes every single day. And so you have to constantly be testing and looking for the new thing because that's where the wins are. And so I have a couple of examples of that I can go into um, you know, later in this chat. But um, to go back to your question, I would say that you do have to have a plan. Uh, sometimes some complaints I hear from some smaller advertisers and say like Facebook doesn't work for me um, would be uh, I boosted a post and you know, I spent $500 and nobody bought. Well, that's just the beginning of the story in our opinion. So if you only have $500 to spend or if you have you know, $500,000 to spend, you need to um, break that budget up into pieces to understand you know, how you're testing, when you're testing. It's, it just rewards iteration because it changes every day. You have to constantly be in the ad account, trying things, changing things, responding to the, uh, all the data that you're getting that's telling you, you know, if it's not working, then why isn't it working? Is it because your website is slow? Is it because there's not continuity between the ad that you're writing and what then the page on your website is saying, in which case you might need a landing page to match the ad to kind of um, bring the person through whatever it is you're trying to get them to do. Um, it is just, it requires a continuous iteration and um, that's the way you get it to work. You made a interesting point a moment ago when you were talking about, you know, the difference between organic and paid. Is there a reason, I mean, I can think of lots of reasons, but from your standpoint, is there a reason that brands should even focus on trying to grow their follower base on Facebook anymore? Or should they really be putting their initiatives and their dollars into uh, creating Facebook advertising? Uh, there are some reasons to care about your follower base, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are, in my opinion, relatively small and specific to like certain brands. So um, the Chicago Bulls are one of our clients, for example, and the Chicago Bulls have 200 million real life fans across the world. So that's a very different thing because their, their fan base is so large, their literal fan base, and it is represented in the people that follow them on Facebook and Twitter. And so being able to just target those people only, or maybe within Chicago for trying to get people to buy tickets, that makes sense for them. But most brands are not the Chicago Bulls. And so that like brand affinity and the brand value of a very small business, if that's what we're talking about, or even a medium sized business that doesn't have high affinity, like a bank or something like a financial institution that people need, but they don't necessarily love and want to see all day um, in their newsfeed. Those things, um, so, so, so for the bulls, the organic reach matters, and the organic base matters. For us, if we have clients that are launching a new product or uh, haven't been in the market for a long time or haven't been running a lot of paid social ads, we don't recommend to spend much time and effort on the organic side. Um, the Bulls is a very specific example. There are other examples of businesses where it does help and matter. Um, you said that you had, <clears throat> you said you could think of some reasons why. Why do you think? Well, 
mine should work all organic instead of I think I think that if you do have a loyal client base or a consumer base that they may first of all touch base and look at your Facebook feed actually driving themselves there versus mm -hmm. going elsewhere and even waiting for it to show up in your feed. Um, I, we do social influencer marketing for clients. So the last thing I like doing is working on a social influencer campaign and then seeing that the brand is not actively updating their own social pages on those mm -hmm. platforms that we're working with. Sure. Because part of the social influencer campaign helps actually drive people to those social pages, either to become you know, followers of their own or just because we're, we're working in a social universe. They yeah. like touching what the brand is doing socially. So the consumers, it's the natural habit to go, from the social influencers page and go check out the brand that they're touting. Um, and, and potentially their social pages more so even than their website on occasion. So those would be my two go-tos. Those are good reasons. Uh, totally agree. And I think you would probably agree with me that that depends on which social profile oh, yeah. we're talking about. Yep. Uh, Instagram. Yes. There's much more organic reach on Instagram than there is on Facebook. Um, Instagram, of course, being as visual as it is, it's very natural to go to somebody's Instagram profile to get a better sense of what they've been doing recently or, or whatever. Um, Facebook has a little bit less of that in our opinion. You don't want to have like bad posts or you have a page that you haven't updated in a year, but like loading up two, two posts a week for a business that might take five minutes a week is, is you know, the bare minimum. Uh, mm -hmm. that I think actually will give that appearance that the page is active. Mm -hmm. um, here you're for sure. And Twitter, of course, is a completely different sort of daily engagement uh, platform uh, than Facebook. To your initial point, though, that if you have long-term uh, relationships with your customers or clients, people keep coming back to you over a very long period of time, which I love that trait in a business, of course. Mm -hmm. um, part of what we would do in that case, part of what we do do in that case is use all that data to understand uh, what cadence on what is the cadence on which those people come back to your business, whether they're looking for information or it's something that you buy, say seasonally every quarter. Um, we would then try to understand those those trends and that, that behavior, and then set ads for those people to 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 actively go back into your user. Just like sending an email, you know, it's like, oh, it's the Fourth of July in the U.S. Let's send an email because we've got these Fourth of July products. And you're targeting your customer base of people because you have their email addresses. We do the exact same thing on paid social where all different sorts of retargeting based on treat a buyer differently from someone who just has something in their cart from someone who's never put anything in their cart, but they spend tons of time on your website. Um, so agree that organic and updating your, your social profiles and all the benefits therein, like definitely works in that case we would supplement that with with the paid tactics i was describing sure um and there's nothing worse as even a, as an agency as a brand when you're sitting there and you're putting out so much organic content and you see no engagement whatsoever yeah. and it's kind of defeating to you and that's where when, yeah yeah you're like no one's looking at my world at my social no one cares yeah. but as you said you know less than or around five to 10% of your follower base is even seeing your posts. So you have to work to do Facebook advertising or boosting ads, uh, boosting posts and the like. Is there a difference for our listeners to understand, you know, what's the difference between boosting a post that you do and actually doing a Facebook ad? The main difference is the interface in which you're doing that. So boosting a post really in our understanding just means that 
you write a post, an organic post, and, and whether um, you're just in the admin section of your page or you're just on your own page yourself, you see the post and it says boost. And when you click that, it opens up some options to target and how much do you want to spend. And those options have gotten better and better. What it really just is, is a very stripped down and light version of Facebook Ads Manager. And Facebook Ads Manager is the other place that you can go to create that exact same boosted post or any other sort of ad format, ad type, audience type, all the options in the broad world of Facebook ads are available right there. And so um, we just always recommend to go to Facebook Ads Manager. You can create the exact same kind of post. You can take the post that you um, wrote on the organic side an hour ago and, and boost that from within Ads Manager. You just get more options. And uh, it's pretty rare that we see a boosted post that works. It's usually just a sign of somebody who um, wants to do it very quickly or doesn't have a lot of depth in it, which is fine. And that makes sense. It's kind of like the onboarding to Facebook ads. You try it a couple of mm -hmm. times. You're like, why? Okay. I got some clicks and I reached all these people, but why am I not getting sales? And then you go over to you know, ads manager. You start to look under the hood, you go deeper, you realize, Oh, there's all these other things I can do like optimize for a sale instead of optimizing for, for a click. Um, I do want to briefly go back to something you mentioned though about how it can be demoralizing to see or, or defeating to see content that you worked hard to create and then nobody sees it. it Both of those sad, things. It's a sad <laughs> thing. And demoralizing. Yeah. Yes. All those, all those negative D words that I feel like you're going backwards. Um, so this is something, yeah, that it, it makes complete sense. We've all experienced it. We've all seen brands do it. Um, one of the places that we've seen the rubber meet the road there for us is with video. Uh, we see so many people that make video. Uh, video is so fundamental now on social, of course, and on mobile and in Facebook ads in particular. Uh, and now Instagram, of course, allows it. But we see so many people that make a nice video. And even if it's not super expensive, it might be $500 or it might be $1,000, might be $5,000 to make this video. There's certainly big brands that like treat them like TV commercials or spend 50 or $100,000 to make some video. And then they don't promote it. And so they spend, let's call it $1,000 to make a video and it gets 30 views. And you look back on it in three months, it has 30 views. You're like, oh, we worked so hard on that. We hired this person. We did all these edits, all these last minute details we didn't like. We kept having them change. So it was perfect to us and then nobody saw it. So that's a big mistake that we see a lot. And it's like, don't spend $1,000 on a video if all you have is $1,000. Spend $500 to make it and then spend $500 to promote it. You just feel a lot better that you know that you have some money set aside to, to make sure people see what you're doing because what's the point of crafting this beautiful, perfect message if, you, if there's gonna be no audience for it? It's hard to imagine people like spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a TV commercial today or back in the day and then not have any money set aside to make sure it gets on TV. So um, that's just something that we see very frequently and you know, when a prospect comes in and wants to start talking to us, we look at that right away. That 100% makes so much sense, and I've seen that happen as well. So what is the first step that you do when you're working with a client? How do you approach figuring out what you need to do in regards to your Facebook advertising plan? Uh, good question. Uh, like a lot of these answers, it starts with it depends. But generally, generally, people that we start working with already have some history in Facebook ads. So one of the first things we do is we get access to their account. We just look in at what they're doing. And, and think about based on what we know about their business and what we've learned, 
uh, what are the things that we would do right away and how they look different from what they've been doing. Um, and so right away, one of the first things we do is think about audiences and who is their target audience. And yes, we're interested in maybe their demographics or you know, where they live or how old they are, and maybe some ideas of like a persona, you know, what is their job and what is their day to day like. Some of that persona based stuff for us comes more into the creative aspect of like, who are we writing to? What kind of image on a landing page and in an ad is gonna to appeal to this person? What are they worried about when we write video copy? We use that persona stuff more for creative. When we really get into which audiences are gonna work that we are going to test and target in Facebook ads, it's very data driven. Um, and so that ends up looking more like, okay, um, in your past 30 days, you know, first of all, is the pixel working? Like that is step one, is the pixel working? Do you have the pixel properly set up? If you're selling something on your website, is it tracking the value of those purchases in e-commerce? Are we like firing purchase when someone buys something? Are we firing add to cart when someone adds to cart? You just have to look in the back end to make sure all of that stuff that is pixel related is set up. Um, assuming that it is, then you start to look at what are the audiences that we can create. And so, uh, for example, one audience would be your buyers in the past 30 days. And so your buyers in the past 30 days is a really good look at the sorts of people that you want to buy in the next 30 days. So uh, you can create a lookalike audience, which is basically telling Facebook, these people who bought in the past 30 days, we want to find more people like them. So Facebook goes out and creates a list of people that um, are 1% most similar in their behaviors and their demographics to that list that you gave it. So now you've got a list of 1% of Facebook users, say in the United States, if you're targeting the US only, it's about 2 million people. And so now you've got this audience of people that look like your buyers, and, and that would be almost always, not always, but this is sort of basic, but that's where we would start targeting. And then we'd also exclude buyers from that list. So you're saying, we're just looking for new people. That's kind of a typical thought process where we are just diving right in and say, what are you doing now? Who are the audiences? What's the best audience, like common sense audience that we can think of? Is that created? Who are we gonna target right away? Um, and then the persona stuff helps us figure out looking at the creative that the brand or the client might already have, how should this, how should this creative be tweaked based on what we know about who their ideal customer is. Okay. And then at, at that point, what do you do from there? Do you start creating ads? Do you work with the, how much, how much involvement do you have to have with the brand's own marketing and creative team? Is this something that you all look through the assets that the brand or the business has and you are figuring out what you're going to build and craft or how does that work? Yeah, good question. Uh, this is all very process-based. So we have processes and lists of things that start that go out as soon as we like say sign a new client, we're going to start working with them. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's a setup guide that you know, goes even before what I just mentioned that lists out all the accounts we need access to. And we kind of systematically check that off over time. Um, then there's a process by which, to your point, there's tons of communication with the brand or the client's um, marketing department, marketing team, especially at the beginning. We want to get to a place over the first two or three months and hopefully over years where we have this very regular cadence of weekly phone calls with our clients. But at the beginning, it's more intense than that. There's a lot of back and forth. We have a dedicated Slack channel for each of our clients. We have weekly calls standing, but in the first week or two, it's often more frequently than weekly because there's just a lot of 
um, intel that we have to get. Yes, part of our early process is asking for the brand guidelines. Um, then we have a, a, a copy doc where they approve all the copy that we can write and will write. And they go through and approve different copy. And yes, we're part of getting the brand guidelines and part of the setup guide is asking for all their raw creative assets. So of course we're looking, we've already looked at all their Facebook ads. We look on their YouTube channel, we look on their social profiles, we look on their website, we see what images and pages they're already using. And we come to an understanding with them of like, what does starting look like for us? How, how much work do we have to do to start? If they have landing pages in place that are really great and we like their ads and we just need to create a video, that can be pretty fast, like a week or two to get started and really take over. If they don't have a landing page and we need to rebuild it from start and we need to build a video and it's like heavily regulated industry like finance or something and their pixels not placed, you know, there could be a lot of work to get going. So it's really first just assessing what's needed, laying it out in a systematized way and yes, we start creating ads once we have enough assets. We have copy approved and we show them the ad and they approve it, we turn it on, we're off and running. And from there, there's just a lot of iteration that starts. Okay. That's quite a bit of systems and processes. Well, you have to have it over yeah. time. Yeah. Right. Over time, we, we learned to build it. That's great. So you mentioned video and you mentioned video a couple of times is typically when you're doing Facebook advertising, are you focusing on videos because it has higher engagement or are you also looking at static ads? Um, we are, we are looking at static ads. We put static and video ads um, in the same campaigns almost always. And I'll give you one kind of tip reason why, but um, video does have higher engagement. Um, the, the, I mentioned that Facebook keeps kind of putting out guidance on what to do next. Video was that thing like three or four years ago. You uh, might remember those of us who pay tons of attention to Facebook and Facebook ads. Mobile and video was, has been like the huge move uh, in a macro sense going back five or six years. Um, and so it still really works. The video that works now is different in our experience than what works three years ago. Three years ago, we were creating like 30 second commercials with voiceovers where we're telling the story. Um, now it's much more like, it looks like a still image with a little bit of animation and there's things moving to kind of catch, catch the eye. Facebook talks about thumb stopping content so much of um, so much traffic now. And like, if you're doing Facebook ads and you're not thinking mobile first, you're, you're starting from the wrong place. So people flipping through the newsfeed and how video works there. The other point that I was going to make about video and static is we've been, advised and we've tested and it works make sure that um make sure that in the same ad set you have both video one video option and one still option and the reason why that works is um some people facebook's algorithm knows that some people prefer video and some people prefer uh, static it's just it's just a preference that people have some people like to click and stop and play videos and some people really don't and it can be as practical as like what kind of internet connection you have on your phone. If you're on cellular and you're walking around, you know, it might not be wise to show somebody a video ad because it's not going to load fast enough and they don't have time because they're you know, not in the mode to stop and look at a video for 30 seconds. So that person might see a still image ad in that moment. Whereas uh, that same person could be on their desktop at work and scrolling through the feed and they might see that same ad, but as video. So within the same person, 
And then across people, Facebook knows that some people like to see video and some people like to put see still image. If you put those in the same ad set, the algorithm's always gonna have the option to show the optimized option um, or the optimized alternative. Uh, so, so definitely use both, uh, always mix and match. Um, the other thing that is related to this is we're getting lots and lots of guidance to just over, uh, overall to leave things more broad and allow the algorithm to do its work. So part of that means all placements. So you load up a video, you load up um, still image, maybe a carousel if you're doing that, and then you uh, tell Facebook to put it on all placements. So that includes you know, Messenger, Instagram, mobile newsfeed, desktop newsfeed, audience network, all those different placements. And we've found that really work better, even if, um, even if you know that, or even if for your particular case, you know that audience network doesn't look great, it doesn't matter. It still works better when the algorithm has the option to show the ad wherever it thinks it should at that moment. And what you're saying there is not about the audience. You're not saying let Facebook decide your audience. You're saying no. let Facebook decide their audience network of how and where they want to serve up your ad. Um, yeah, well, audience network is a particular placement, but, mm -hmm. but I'm saying let, um, let Facebook choose the placements. So yes, when you're creating the ad, you have the option to be like, I only want this to show in the desktop newsfeed or the mobile newsfeed or on Instagram. Facebook says, choose all and let the algorithm decide where to show it. Um, your question about audience is a different one and we're also doing broad audiences, meaning there are ads we create that have like no targeting at all on them. And those are ads for scaling. There's a very particular way we set it up that I can go into if you're interested, but we do both. And it's part of a systemic change where allowing the algorithm to make the decisions, um, both on the placement side and on the audience side. And again, I can give you another deeper tip on that, but uh, that, is a, that is a broader move that Facebook's algorithm is getting better and better to the point where you can give it less and less info and let it go. And it does a better job than we can with these little uh, micro tweaks that we might be doing manually. So it's really about artificial intelligence and algorithms and figuring it out in some cases yeah. itself. I would say that it's been about algorithms for a long time. Right. Um, I'm not sure how much AI is in there. There's probably a lot of machine learning for sure, as far as who to show what ad to next. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely about the algorithm. Yes. And you said you could dive in a little bit deeper into going sure. broad for your audience. We'd love to hear it. I'm sure yeah. listeners would too. Yeah, this was an exciting one for us. We found some real wins there, and this definitely goes into the category of trying that next thing that Facebook is just rolling out. And then you try it, and you get some wins, and then maybe a bunch of other people try it if it's going well, and then it becomes just the default for Facebook. So this is a good example. Um, some of your audience might be familiar with it. I'm sure you are. It's called Campaign Budget Optimization, CBO. And so uh, I'd say about last September, um, September or October of last year, we started hearing about this from Facebook. Uh, some of our larger clients have really great Facebook reps and we'd be in meetings with them and they would start talking about CBO and this new structure. So uh, historically all budgets on Facebook ads were created at the ad set level. Um, this feature allowed you to create budget at the campaign level. And so let's say in a campaign you have ad set A and ad set B and historically you just put $50 a day in ad set A, $50 a day in ad set B and you would have maybe different audiences in those two ad sets maybe some other things you're testing. Now you put $100 at the campaign level mm -hmm. and um, Facebook is going to move the budget to ad set A or B. It might spend 90-10, it might spend 50-50, might spend 20-80, depending on what the algorithm thinks is going to do better based on whatever optimization you give it. So if you're trying to do cost per purchase 
and you want the lowest cost per purchase, it's going to move the budget between those two ad sets, um, whichever way it thinks you're going to get the best cost per purchase. With me so far? Totally. Yes. Great. So now, so now you've got this possibility of optimizing between ad sets and letting the algorithm do it. And so what we started doing there is combining that with very, very broad audiences and very precise audiences. So ad set A, in my example that I was just giving, would be 1% uh, lookalike of your buyers mm -hmm. and excluding your buyers. So, you, so you're only looking for new people in this example. And then ad set B would be completely broad, no targeting whatsoever, zero targeting, don't target anything. Now, within reason, if you know your product is like only for females or something like that, or only people in a particular city, yes, of course, use common sense and exclude people who literally just can't buy your product or don't fit. But generally, totally broad is best, no targeting whatsoever. But what you do is you exclude the 1% lookalike audience and the buyers from that larger broad ad set. So all you have is everybody else with zero overlap between the two audiences. So now you have $100 a day that you're telling the algorithm to spend at CBO, campaign budget optimization, the campaign, campaign level. And it will spend a lot of that money at the beginning might go to your precise audience because it's very precise. People work. It's a lookalike audience, 1%. But over time, you'll see it start to spend like day over day. Sometimes it's going to spend in the broad audience. Sometimes it's spend in the narrow one. So we just started to see this work. Uh, for a couple of clients that have fairly large budgets. So then we immediately just like rolled it out to a bunch of other clients that made sense and just worked across the board. And so it is right now the structure to scale campaigns. Um, one of the mistakes we see people make, we call it pockets of success. People will get this really, really specific audience that they're very proud of because they've like made all these changes to it over time. And they feel like when they overlay these five interests with these like two or three demographics, and add some behavior type that like this is the audience in which they can really get the CPA that they need, but it might only be 50,000 people. And so now you tap that audience very quickly. You spend $200 and you tap that audience, like where do you go from there? So, so the ability to scale and target broadly and let the algorithm target broadly is you increase budget in that kind of CBO campaign budget optimization example I just gave. You can put parameters on it and say like spend tons of money, but only if the CPA is below where I want it with that construct works really well uh, towards getting brands figuring out how they can scale their ad spends. Um, and so just to zoom out a little bit, that came out in like September, October, we saw it really work. It's still really working. And now for people who are in Facebook ads a lot and different accounts, you see this like uh, notice, not a warning, but kind of saying budgets are moving to the campaign level on all accounts in September, it's coming September. So now it's been a year where this was an optional thing and there were wins on the front end that we found because the algorithm is moving in this direction and we're moving with it versus people who are just kind of doing what they've been doing and probably see their performance fall off. And now everybody's gonna to move to this and we're you know looking ahead to move to the next thing. So that is a way to target just completely broad audiences and and have some controls in there so you're not gonna spend wildly on something that's not working and um, taking advantage of a new feature on Facebook ads. Okay, and you mentioned you know, doing this for abroad. Is this more specifically for a B2C, a consumer target versus a B2B business? Because yes. with B2B, you're really gonna to have to micro niche down a little bit to yes. your core target. 
Yes, and that is a great distinction, a great point. Um, not all businesses uh, enjoy or fit easily in the B2B or B2C distinction, but it's so useful. And we are almost, we are entirely a B2C agency. Mm-hmm. We're doing direct response Facebook ads for B2C. And part of the reason is we find it hard to do really good uh, Facebook ads for B2B. Like in our early days as an agency, as we were looking for clients, we're like, oh, we're just going to turn on Facebook ads and get a bunch of clients. Well, look, it, it doesn't work that way. It's hard. <laughs> it really is hard. Yes. And it's why we frankly don't yeah. do B2B marketing. And B2B mm-hmm. is a larger segment of the economy than B2C. You know, most businesses are B2B and more dollars in B2B. But this is, in our opinion, an awesome um, high volume B2C ad channel. Yeah, I think LinkedIn has really positioned themselves as the better marketplace for B2B marketing. They're still figuring out a lot of their hows and and educating on uh, what you're supposed to do with it as a business to advertise. And a lot of times there's some funky things that go along with it. But we haven't seen Facebook be that successful for our B2B clients or ourselves uh, in most cases. It's really hard, and there's a lot of reasons why. We could do a whole podcast on why, but some of the things that just come to mind right away is Facebook is now telling us, especially with these, like, let the algorithm do it movements and developments, Facebook is telling us you need 50 conversions per ad set per week in order for that uh, ad set to be able to optimize within the algorithm. So, so, the, so we've had some B2B opportunities and clients over the years that it's the old thing where people say, like, well we only need two per month. And if we get two per month, it like pays for the thing for a year, you know, and it just gets really, really hard to wait and chase that next one when, you know, you go 15 days without a conversion. It tends to not make anybody feel good. And just, there's nothing to optimize around. There's like, you have to search for these like higher in the funnel things to optimize around, which aren't ideal. So just there's a volume thing on B2B versus B2C that we've seen come up frequently. And there's also just B2B tends to be a longer considered purchase and and there's like, can be very relationship driven. Um, And so we found it to be a tough, a tough fit. And so, yeah, we don't, we don't run Facebook ads for B2B for that reason. I think the exceptions I've really seen to it or which have actually worked where I bought something as a uh, agency owner and it's definitely been a business transaction is in more long coaching services and things along those lines. It's interesting. because I think Facebook can still be a platform in that um, depending on how people use it. But yeah, I mean, we've, we have a, a prospect right now that said, Oh, they're a B2B company, but they sell as if they're B2C. And what he meant by that was it's entirely digital. There's no sales team that's going to pick up the phone and talk to you. Um, the product is delivered digitally. So your example of coaching is a perfect one. You know, this is something that acts like B2C and that it scales you, you, if you're selling videos to people or, or, you know, maybe the real time one-on-one coaching is a different price or something. Um, it feels like B2C because there's a, a large target market. You can scale the delivery of it digitally. So uh, there's some exceptions in gray area and there's some overlap for sure. Yeah. So where are some of the places that people just take this and go wrong and you just look at it and you're like, oh, if only I could tell you, what would you tell them? How, where are the big missteps, the mistakes that people tend to embrace wholeheartedly and run with? Yeah, um, the first one gets to a question you asked earlier about boosting a post. And, and, and I totally get why 
people boost a boost a post first before they like the ads manager can be daunting and complex if you've never if you're if you've never been into it before and you're not comfortable with it. But I put that in this broader category of just um, not planning. You know, it's almost like a spontaneous purchase. Like, oh, I love this post and this is an important message to us. I'm going to boost it. Right. And then, the, and then when the thing, and then when the money spent <clears throat> and the thing that they want to have happen didn't happen, I find that they tend to blame Facebook. <laughs> Facebook ads doesn't work for me. And it might be true. It might be that Facebook ads isn't a good fit for your business. But I feel like it's easy to stop thinking and say Facebook doesn't work for me or Facebook ads stink. Mm -hmm. um, so my counter to that would be your counter, which was plan it. You, you, and, it and if the plan involves spend all the money in one shot with no chance to iterate and react mm -hmm. to the data you're getting, it's not a good plan. So mm -hmm. the plan has to involve iteration. So if you have uh, $10,000, you should, you know, maybe divide it up into four tranches and you know the first $2,500, you're going to be learning a lot and it's not going to, you, you shouldn't expect your best outcomes to be in that first quarter of your budget. And then your second quarter, you're still testing, but you're refining because now you have data from the first quarter. And, and then like the second half of your budget, you should, you know, if you also align that, say that takes you three months, maybe you should feel like the last month is when you're going to really see what the results are. If you know what you're doing as far as optimizing goes. So, so that's one overarching thing. It's just like unplanned and they just shoot their budget if it's very small or, or larger, doesn't matter, but just shooting the budget out and being like, why didn't this work? And then they get mad. So, so basically know all putting your eggs in one single basket. Don't, you have to iterate. If you're not, if you, your plan doesn't allow you the chance to like have the first thing be wrong, then you have to redo your plan. Okay. Um, and so that would be one. Um, and the second one I would say would be not considering the full funnel. Again, just like I'm going to spend the $50 boosted post on Facebook ads and then it doesn't work and why not? Well, one of the reasons might be like what's going on in your website, where are you sending them? Um, you have to consider uh, one thing we call continuation, continuity, which is you want to have a lot of continuity between the imaging and the words that are in the ad. They click the ad, they go to your website, that page on your website should look just like the ad and should have the exact same words. Don't have a 4th of July ad and then they click on it and you send them to your homepage that says nothing about the 4th of July. Because you're like, wait, is this right? And as soon as they start thinking, as soon as there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance, people are gonna bail. There's too many other things to consider and look at. So as soon as they start to think, this doesn't feel like the thing I clicked on. So you need to take a bigger view of the customer's journey. And it can include um, at the end of the funnel, they might be searching for your thing because they've now seen it in the Facebook ad and you might want to look at Google and see how do these channels work together? How does retargeting fit in? If, you know, a lot of purchases, even small spontaneous purchases involve multiple visits to a website from multiple uh, devices. And so you just have to consider the big picture. And it's not to say you're going to be able to test everything. Uh, there is you know, if you don't have a lot of budget and a lot of time, you, or even when you do have a lot of budget and time, you're going to end up going with your best bet, your best option for the constraints that you have and for what you think might work. But that first thing might not work. And, the, and, and your second test might have to involve tweaking your landing page or improving your checkout flow um, or testing your audiences. So you have to consider the changes that you can make in the Facebook ads level in the context of the full customer journey that's specific to your business or your client's business. Um, so that would be number two is think of the full funnel. Okay. 
Are there any specific minimums of what someone needs to even come to the table with to spend? I mean, you work with very large clients, but starting out, you worked with very small clients too, I'm yeah. quite sure. So yep. is there like a minimum threshold that you really need to commit to, not necessarily with your agency, but just in general, if you want to make Facebook advertising work? Um, no. The answer is no, there's no minimum. You could spend $1 a day, you spend $2 a day. I've seen people um, uh, recommend that and there are situations in which that makes sense. If you've got a B2B business and you're not even using Facebook ads because you, you know, say it's a $15,000 sale and like it's not gonna work on Facebook ads, but you might have some you know, amazing blog post that you want everybody who knows about your business to see. Mm -hmm. And so you can maybe a thousand people a month visit your site, you can you show those thousand people put them in the ad and say, I want everyone who's been on my website to see this and you can spend a thousand or spend, spend $1 a day and run it for 10 days and you spend $10 and you're going to reach some pretty decent portion of that thousand people. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are definitely use cases for a dollar a day. Um, we, for, for our work and not related to the size of our client or anything like that, we think in terms of, what is the target CPA? Again, we're direct response and largely B2C here. So what is the target CPA of your thing? So if you're selling um, t-shirts and the t-shirts on average yield an order value of uh, $40, let's say per, per order. And so you um, are tasked with as the marketer, go get us $10 orders. So you can spend $10 in ad spend, and you're going to, and the company's going to get forty dollars in revenue, and they've told you that that works for them in their unit economics. So ten dollars is the key number here. So if you only spend ten dollars a day in that case, it's going to take you a long time to go fast enough to know if your iterations and your tests are working. So we use six uh, x the CPA on a daily basis. So if that client or prospect asked us what is the minimum that we should spend, I would say sixty dollars a day would because it's ten times six would give us at least enough budget to know that like we want to make iterations every couple days, sometimes every day, but certainly weekly at a minimum. Mm -hmm. So we need to be able to turn on a test, have enough budget where we can say, all right, this isn't working after two or three days or interesting. We're getting cheap clicks, but they're not buying. Let's try this other thing. And you need enough volume. You need enough money per day as it relates to your CPA in order to move fast enough to, to find the wins. That also means not just saying that you're going to have someone in your office do this, run it, and walk away. They need to actually be eyeballing the campaign and making those tweaks that you're suggesting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that goes back to the two things I was talking about, it's just iteration and having a plan that's going to involve changing over time. Okay. Well, where can our listeners find out more about your agency? Well, you can find out more about our agency on our website, which is matchnode.com. And uh, feel free to email me if anybody has questions. My email address is chris, C-H-R-I-S, at matchnode.com. I'm on Twitter um, at MaddenCM, M-A-D-D-E-N-C-M, personally. Um, so uh, happy to continue the conversation with anybody who's interested. Uh, we really enjoy doing this work. And uh, hopefully this helps people uh, get some ideas of where to start when you're looking for growth on Facebook ads. Now, you gave some really great advice today, and all of your information will be on our podcast page as well. 
so that anyone who is listening and not writing will be able to still get that information and reach out to you. And before we go, can you give any last parting words of advice to our listeners? Yes, I would say that um, with everything I just mentioned, and you just made the really good point that you have to have somebody in the ads every day changing it. This is going to go well when you have somebody who really likes it or is really interested in it and learning about it. Um, you don't have to be the most experienced, but you have to have the interest in getting experienced because um, things go better just generally in life when you have people doing what they like doing. And so if you have somebody who doesn't, you, you got to get somebody who's interested in doing it because then they'll be in there every day. And you like want people who wake up in the morning and are excited to hear, to see what happened in the campaigns kind of overnight sort of person. So if that's not you or you don't have someone on your immediate team to do that, there's all sorts of freelancers, upworkers, et cetera, that, that can help you with that. But that's really important because then that's how you get those, the knowledge of what's changing and what's the new thing. And then the knowledge of how and when to change and look at it multiple times a day, as you said, and, you know, at a, at a higher scale, that's what we do for, for businesses that have established themselves over the years. Great. Well, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on today. Really thank you so much. The topic and conversation. So happy to hear that Facebook is not this perfect place for b 2 b so that we're not just feeling like we have uh-huh. wasteland. So greatly appreciate that as well. And to all of our listeners, Thank you so much for tuning into Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'll look forward to chatting with you on our next podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Stacey.